0: Well, we should probably thank Nicole and Matt, shouldn't we, for their reading? Uh, thank you, guys. You've done a great job. Uh, I'd like to thank you, church, for listening. Uh, it's one of these things, isn't it? We're looking at the Old Testament, and you might think to yourself, gracious, what have I done turning up today? Uh, and we're in Kings, and, and like, what on earth can, can anything good come from this? Uh, I want to be so bold as to suggest that It's possible. Uh, We're going to try and look at uh, the big picture here today, and uh, I think you might be able to be encouraged. I think you might be able to have something to write down on your cards. But if you've got enough faith for that, how about we pray for it together and ask that God might help us? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to look at your word. We pray, Father, that you might make us alive to the work of your spirit, that we might see your hand at work in the history of Israel, and that we might consider how it might impact us here today in Oran Park. We ask your help for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's dive in. Uh, a, a week ago, I think it was, uh, maybe, maybe two weeks now, uh, I had the opportunity to upgrade the software on my computer. Now, that's exciting for me. Some of you will be totally whatever by that. That's okay. Here's what happens when you upgrade your software generally. Uh, you get a little screen that comes up like that, and that's fine. And then you get a screen that comes up looking like that. And uh, and what it it has on it is, uh, to continue installing the software, you must agree to the terms of service in the license agreement. You can see it's here, but it scrolls down here. And then it's got a little arrow down the bottom here saying, Agree. So what do you do? You click the little button that says, You Agree. And so you agree, and then then, then just to kind of tease you, it puts this up the top. I'll blow it up a little bit for you. It says, I have read and agree to the terms of the software license agreement, agree, disagree. So it says, do you agree? You click it, and then it says, I have read and agree to the terms of service. Do you agree? Now, the reality is, well, I could take a show of hands. How many of you have read to the end of the terms of service? Uh, We are now in the process of living with ridiculous terms of service given to us all the time that we click through without reading at all and agree to. Is anyone familiar with this? Okay, very good. The idea is that the nation of Israel was given to God's people and it was given with the terms of agreement. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy pretty much is the terms of agreement and Matt's spoken very carefully uh, to that point uh, when he introduced us to the sermon series. So pretty much there's 32 something chapters of the book of Deuteronomy which are your terms of agreement, your service agreement, Israel, if you take over this promised land that God is giving you. Do you agree? And they said, we agree. And then they went into the land. Now what we're going to see today is some of the details of what it looks like when you agree to the terms of service and have no idea what they said. And when you ignore them, what the consequences might be. So we're looking at a slice of Israel's history and I want to show you some of the things that we should consider as we're looking at the book of Kings. If you're doing our reading program with us, we're reading a chapter a day and uh, we're up to the book of Kings and uh, very conveniently for this month, you'll only only have to look at the day of the month and that will be the chapter of the book of Kings that we're up to. Okay? So whatever the day of the month is, that'll be the chapter you're reading in 1 Kings. I want to show you some things to think about how we read 1 Kings so that it might encourage our hearts. So let's, let's dive in. What's the big picture? I have this little Bible overview that I do with people which uh, uses pictures. I particularly use it at the school, but it's, it's encouraging me and, and I've done it with some other people as well. And basically what it does is it gives you an overview of the ark, the story of the, of the Bible from creation to fall all the way through to new creation, centred around the person of Jesus here. That's what we see. That's the big overarching scope of the Bible. Now, along the way, we are looking at the book of 1 and 2 Kings. And in that story, we're part of the Old Testament unfolding story. The people of God have come into the promised land, beautiful green grass. I didn't have a picture of a land flowing with milk and honey, but green grass. They have, after a very painful period of judges, now come to the point where David has ruled them as king his son Solomon has ruled as king, and so we're in this time of the kings. It's before the exile where they lose the land, where the terms of service agreement come home to roost and they get booted out of the promised land. So 1 and 2 Kings sit here in the unfolding story of the Old Testament. That's the big picture. What about the promised picture? One of the things that we do, and Matthew laid out for us how these books unfold, one of the things that we want to keep an eye on, and I'll just quickly refresh uh, what Matthew said, Uh, there are some promises in the Old Testament that we should keep an eye on. Uh, God says, for instance, to Noah that he'll never flood the earth again. So he keeps that promise all the way through. We saw uh, Matt told us to remember L-O-B. Is that right, Matt? Land, offspring, blessing with the three promises that were given to Abraham. He would receive a promised land, there would be offspring, and there would be a blessing to the whole world. Well, the land took a while to get, and they're about to lose it again. The offspring, Abraham had many offspring, and the blessing, it flowed in Solomon's time, it's about to be the dark ages for blessing, and then eventually, in the age of the church, we're supposed to be blessing the world in fulfillment to that promise. Down the bottom here, we had a promise made, as as Matt pointed out to us, in 2 Samuel 7, where God said to David, one of your descendants will reign on your throne forever. Brilliant. We are looking forward to see who the son of David is that will reign forever, and we'll wait quite some time until we get to Jesus. So here's 1 Kings, where we are here, and here's where we are today, all the way up here in the age of the church, before Jesus returns and the new creation. What's the precedent picture? What I mean here is, what's happened before that sounds like what we read today? Bear with me. I think this will be helpful. In the Old Testament, you've heard of the Exodus, where the people of God were in the land of Egypt. You can see a pyramid up there. Pharaoh is ruling over Israel as slaves. They're slaves in forced labor. They cry out to God for help and God sends them a helper. Now, in the next bit where we are in Kings, Rehoboam, do you remember that funny little thing that, uh, that uh, Nicole read? Uh, the people come to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, and they say, hey, king, can you back off the whole forced labour thing? Did you hear that? And the king says, I'll need three days to think about it. How did he do? Didn't do very well, did he? He said, look, I mean, it's, it's such a man thing, really, isn't it? He says... My father, you know, he was about as thick as a finger. I'm, my finger's as thick as a waist. You know, I'm huge. I'm powerful and mighty. If, you, if my father scourged you with whips when he was making you slaves, I will scourge you with scorpions. In other words, he's about to say, you think you've seen forced labor? I'm going to put all of Israel under even more harsh forced labor. Now, what that sounds like, Israel's supposed to be free, aren't they? Well, the answer is yes. God took them out of Egypt. They're supposed to be free. And here's a king of Israel making them slaves again. So that's Rehoboam. That sounds like Pharaoh. Now, God tries to free his people with a guy called Moses, who I know you've heard of. Everyone can nod their heads and go, oh, finally, something I know. Yes, very good. Okay. Now, in the bit we just read, there's another bloke who's trying to set the people free. His name is Jeroboam. Now, again, I'll just stop. Everyone, look to me for one second. You've heard two names that sound almost the same. Matt very helpfully pointed out the difference between Ahijah and Abijah. These guys are very important for today, so just pay attention. Rehoboam is the son of Solomon, Jeroboam is an Im- a new king who comes on the scene. He's not related to David, and he's going to break the kingdom up. So two guys, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, okay? They're two separate guys. So God brings Rehoboam along to set the people free. Now, when they were set free in the first part here in the Exodus, God took them out, Moses went up on the mountain. What did the people do while Moses was up on the mountain? Does anyone remember? That's right, they made a calf idol. Was that a good move? Now, I know you can agree with me on this one too. You all know the answer to that. It was not a good move. Here's the thing. Jeroboam took Israel free from the slavery of Rehoboam. And guess what he did next? He actually set up a bull idol in this case and said, here's your God who took you out of Egypt. Can you see how there's some similarities there? Okay, now, if you're seeing that, should you think that God is happy about that? No, very good. Okay, we're good. We're on track. So we should be going, hey, we've heard that before somewhere. I don't think this is going to turn out well. Okay? So that's the precedent picture, looking at what's happened before. I want to show you the geographical picture. Now, again, great work, readers, battling through place names. We're not going to do a lot of place names today, but I want to show you something that will help you understand some part of what's going on today. So have a look up here. Here is the nation of Israel. Fantastic. Right in the centre there, we have the temple, as Matt's pointed out to us very carefully last week, we have the temple in Jerusalem. It's located in the middle of the land. That's very helpful, isn't it? Because where's everyone supposed to go to worship? The temple in Jerusalem. Fantastic. Okay. Now, something terrible happens to the nation of Israel just at this point in time. Rehoboam is a jerk, that's the biblical technical name for what he did, Rehoboam's a jerk, okay, and what happens is Rehoboam says, I'm taking the crew and we're getting out of here. So here's what happens. All of a sudden, the nation of Israel, for the first time, is split in two. Okay? There is what we call the northern kingdom or the the kingdom of Israel. It's very confusing. Why don't they call it something else? Because you're thinking, hey, it was Israel before. Why is that one called Israel and this one called Judah Bear with me, they like the name. There's, there's 10 tribes up here and two tribes down here. Okay, so that the nation is split into two. Now, if you're the guy, Jeroboam, who's now ruling over the north, what's your problem? Have a look at the map. Where's everyone trying to get to? Jerusalem. Is Jerusalem in your part of the world or in someone else's? someone else's. So here's what he does. This just makes sense, guys. Here's what he does. He puts a bull idol in Bethel here and in Dan up here. Can you see why he might have done that? There is no need to go anywhere else, guys. If you live up north, it won't be difficult. If you live down south, it won't be difficult and you definitely will not need to cross the border. Can you see that? So as much as anything else, this is I just want you to get into the nitty-gritty of this. This is the political reality. He's trying to hang on to his power, right? And so he says, I'm going to take care of this religious thing that's going to mess mess you up, and I'm going to make some calf gods, some bull gods, and we're going to put them conveniently located so that you won't have to go to Coles and Harrington Park anymore. Yeah? Because if it's local, why would you travel? So this is your new convenient gods. Now, that's a very, very bad move. On top of that, both in the north, Jeroboam encourages people to set up a stack of high places. You hear this turn up again and again in the book of Kings. What is a high place? Well, any guesses, it's probably not in a valley, is it? So that's helpful. Um, A high place is somewhere they go and they basically build a mound and they put an altar on top of it And they say, we're going to sacrifice, not even going up to Bethel, I mean down to Bethel or up to Dan, we're going to sacrifice just on our hill up here. So it's basically your corner shop, right? And they put up there, not only an altar to sacrifice sacrifices on, but also a pole to the goddess Ashtoreth. Now, does that sound like somebody we've met in the Bible before? Are we supposed to be worshipping her? No, we're not. We're not supposed to be worshipping her. In fact... That's the God, together with Baal, that they were worshipping in the land. It's the reason that God made the original inhabitants have to lose the land because they were sinning so grievously by worshipping these gods. So what's Israel done now? Set up all over the place, multiple corner stores of religion, where you can just duck up the hill and worship the gods of the local people neglecting the Lord your God. Now, why would you do that? Because their gods were connected with fertility and farming. What are they doing? They're farming. And by the way, who is our God? Our God is a God who says you can't make an image of him. Our God says you have to worship with sacrifice in Jerusalem. So that's all a little bit inconvenient. All I want to do is make sure that my crops get on. And these guys, the guys who were here before, were worshipping some God who made their crops grow all right. Maybe we don't have to go to Jerusalem. Maybe we can phone it in from the top of the hill. You with me? Now, it just so happens that the way that they worship was detestable and horrible. And as you heard, involved shrine prostitutes and all sorts of things. Fertility gods and sex are highly correlated. It's not a good look. So here you are, up north, two centres with idols in them, and then a stack of high places worshipping other gods. And you think, oh, well, Jerusalem will be all right. Judah will be all right. They've got Jerusalem. But no, they set up high places as well. So all of a sudden, from being one nation under God, so to speak, with a focus in Jerusalem, now we've got centres of worship everywhere worshipping foreign gods. And you know who's responsible? Well, as much as anything else, it's Solomon, isn't it? Do you remember the end of his reign? He had how many wives? 700 and 300 concubines, and he made little temples for all of their foreign gods. As much as anything else, it's Solomon that brought this cancer into Israel. So there's a bit of geography for you. Now, what I want to do quickly is just run through the kings that are mentioned in these four chapters. I want you to see what happens visually, and then we're going to apply it. So bear with me, we will apply it, okay? But here's what happens. This this is the chapters down here from chapter 12 to chapter 16. And up here we've got Israel, one nation, and then we've got Judah and Israel over here. So Rehoboam starts off as the king over everything, right? But that doesn't last. And so the book of Kings tells us that Jeroboam takes over the nation of Israel. Then we have some description about his son's death, and we heard about that, didn't we? So a description of his son dying. Then we come over here to Rehoboam. And Rehoboam reigns, and he has a son, Abijah, and he has a son, Asa. And they are ruling in Judah as David's descendants. Over here, Jeroboam does have a son. His name is Nadab, but he gets killed. And then somebody else, not from his family, reigns. And then his son takes over and then he gets killed and then this guy reigns and then he gets killed and then this guy reigns and he has a son it is an absolute disaster on the northern kingdom side it's mayhem and carnage let me just tell you this is just reading through the chapter how long did they reign for if you're looking at that and thinking that's really tiny i can't tell guess what I'm going to put these images up on our Facebook page and you can download them and look at them as you read through the Book of Kings. Is that all right? I'll just point out a couple of highlights. Here's a highlight. 22 years for Jeroboam, 17 years for Rehoboam, Abijah, three years, Asa, 41 years. Good lad. Two years, 24 years, two years, seven days, 12 years. Seven days. Wow. That didn't work out very well. In fact, throughout the book of Kings, time and time again, we see these little snippets and God gives you the thumbs up or thumbs down on their life. And can can I just get you to observe how many thumbs down there might be in that line of Kings? In fact, for all of them, I reckon there's only one that really gets the thumbs up from God, who's Asa. The rest of them do detestable and appalling things as kings over Israel in the north or Judah in the south. Wow. It's just mayhem. I want to show you a little bit more over here. I want to show you briefly the prophetic picture. This is God saying, hey, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And I want you to see when it's fulfilled. So David had, uh, God had made a promise for a king to reign in the line of David forever. And so what we're seeing here is actually God's faithful to this promise. Rehoboam's the son of David. Abijah's the son of David. Asa's a son of David. So this prophetic vision comes true. There was another thing. Jeroboam had been told that he would be king. Guess what happens? He becomes king. That's good. He was told it and it happened. Now, There's something that happens to Jeroboam that we'll look at in a second. He's told it will happen and it happens. He's told that his offspring will be destroyed and it happens. This guy comes and kills his whole family. And then he's told that the altar that he has made will be destroyed by a person called Josiah. And we don't see that in these chapters. We just have to wait. On top of that, Ba'asa is told that his family will be wiped out as well, and this guy here comes and does it. Wow. God says it, and it happens, or God says it, and we're waiting for it to happen. Throughout the book of Kings, I want you to pay attention when prophets speak, you watch and see how powerful God's word is. Okay. What I want you to note is the Bible is amazingly selective in its history. It doesn't tell us half the things that we would want to know. So what is the Bible concerned about? It's concerned about these promises, the promises of the land, the offspring, the blessing and the kings and the flood as well. It's concerned about promises that God's made. It's concerned to tell us about prophecy. It's concerned to tell us about idolatry. It's concerned to tell us how long they reigned for and most importantly, whether they get the thumbs up or thumbs down from God. Now that's quite a bit of information. But it isn't everything. What we see time and time again is a little snippet like this. Can I get you to open your Bibles? We're going to have a look at One Kings chapter sixteen and verses twenty-three to twenty-eight. So One Kings chapter sixteen. It's on page three hundred and fifty-two. One page chapter uh, One Kings chapter sixteen, uh, verses twenty-three to twenty-eight. So this is just an example, okay? In the thirty-first year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king of Israel, and he reigned twelve years, six of them in Terzah. He brought the hill of Samaria from Shema for two talents of silver and built a city on the hill, calling it Samaria, after Shema, the name of the former owner of the hill. Lots of information about a hill. But Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all those before him. He followed completely the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, committing the same sin Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit, so that they aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, by their worthless idols. As for the other events of Omri's reign, what he did and the things he achieved, are they not written in in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Omri rested with his ancestors and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab, his son, succeeded him as king. What am I showing you here? Do you see how selective the Bible is? It's only interested in how faithful was he? How faithful was he? And the verdict on that was not very. Here's the thing, though. It refers to another book, the book of the annals of the kings of Israel. I reckon that's the book most of you would like to read. It's all the cool things that happened that weren't just the God stuff the things he did and achieved, the things he built and whatever. That's all the interesting history. That's, I've got up there a really short history of nearly everything. Um, we would like to read that stuff. And too often we look at the lives of men who led Israel and we just go, "Ah, oh, that doesn't tell me very much at all. All it basically tells you is God's verdict on their life. Okay, so what do we make of it? What do we do with four chapters of one king's? How do we make some sense of that? I want to show you some bits in Kings and think of it, uh, how it might apply to us. First of all, lessons in leadership. Uh, I thought this was a very striking bit uh, where the the people come and say to him, King, what would you do? And he says, uh, the elders say, if today you'll be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favourable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the the advice the elders gave him. Time and time again, uh, we would prefer to get advice from people who are our peers, I think. Uh, And too often these days, we'll reject the input of the elders. One of the joys that we have in our church here is that we do have a breadth of age and it would be great, I think, to draw on some of the wisdom of that. Uh, My other response is, Uh, this was good advice. Be merciful and you'll win them over. Be a servant and you'll win them over. And he says, actually, I'm going to be a strong man and crush them. And all I want to ask us to think about, either with our workplace, our parenting, our marital relationships, will mercy or muscle be your first move? See, sometimes if my kids are driving me batty, I might think, I'm just going to force them to do what I want. And it might not be the best thing. Uh, It may be good to uh, discipline our children well, but all I want to ask just from observing this little bit of the Bible here is will mercy or muscle be your first move? Just think carefully. Uh, You might be able to win them over with mercy. Uh, Steering versus sovereignty. I want us to think about the control in our own lives and how much we trust God. I want you to have a look at what Rehoboam uh, sorry, Jeroboam does here. God, God, do you remember God took him? Do you remember the bit that uh, Nicole read where the new cloak was ripped into 12 pieces and the prophet said to him, hey man, God is going to give you 10 tribes, 10 pieces of Israel. It's going to happen to you. Who's going to do it? God. God is going to do it. Now, if you're Jeroboam, you might go, Fantastic. I'm going to trust that God will do it. Have a look what he actually did. Hang on. Come here. Uh, so in, uh, in two kings, uh, sorry, 1 Kings 12, uh, he says this. I think this is hugely instructive. He had the word of the Lord declare to him that it was going to happen. But here's what happens in verse 26. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to the Lord. Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Do you see what he did? God put him in the position, but he thought, I have to solidify it. I have to keep it. If I don't put my own effort in, it'll go away. I think he gave up from trusting that God was in charge to thinking, well, I've come this far. I better take charge myself. I better grip the steering wheel and take over. And what I want to challenge us this morning is, where's our trust really? We would say, I'm trusting God. And yet a whole lot of the time, we're determining an outcome without any reference to him. Our dependence doesn't turn to the living God, it turns to our finances, to our jobs, to our health. We, in the end, trust in things other than the Lord our God. And we see how it worked out for Jeroboam. He thought, I'll make my kingdom secure by doing it myself. And in that very act, lost it. Turn to God and trust him first and I want you to reflect with me on the word of God in the passages that we're looking at here. I want to say to you, it's not always fast, but it is always fulfilled. The word of God is not always fast, but it is always fulfilled. Have a look at this bit here. Uh, <laughs> he's setting up uh, an altar, a bad, idolatrous altar, and a prophet comes to him. Here's what it says. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar. So a prophet comes. Altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here. And human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. So here's... Jeroboam, he started off his new religion. He's got his altar there. He's got the people there. And some guy from the other kingdom comes in and says, this is all going to go. It's all going to be destroyed. What's more, this altar is going to have human bones burned on it. Why does that matter? Because it will be utterly desecrated. You won't be able to do anything religious here. He says that will happen through a guy named who? Who? Where is it? Josiah. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. All right, so you think, I probably knew that he was about to be born or something. Have a listen. This bit here, the altar will be split apart and the ashes will be pulled out. When did that happen? That day. It happened that day. In fact, Jeroboam goes, take that prophet away. And just as he does that, his hand withers the altar behind him is split in two and the ashes pour out there and then. Wow. Do you know what he says next incidentally? He says, oh, prophet, can you pray for me and ask my hand to be, fi- to be fixed? Do you know what the prophet says? Yeah, sure, no worries. Pray for him, his hand's fixed. Anyway, that's the bizarreness of the Old Testament. But here's the thing. That took a day. It happened on the day that God spoke it. Do you know how long it took for before Josiah? the Josiah bit happened? 160 years. See, the word of the Lord will be fulfilled. It won't always be fast, but it will be fulfilled. I want to ask you today, has God failed if it takes time? Now, I don't know what you're waiting for or what you're praying for or what you're hoping for. But if it hasn't happened already, have you decided that God doesn't love you that he hasn't heard, that he doesn't care, that he won't keep his promise. What I want to tell you today is that the word of God will not always be fast, but it will always be fulfilled. God gives the verdict. You know, we love to look at history, at least I love to look at history. Matt's been reading a lot of history recently. Uh, I look at the news not just the Channel 7 news that tells me about a car chase on the Harbour Bridge yesterday, my goodness, anyway, but the things that are happening in the world, the actual things that are happening in the world, and I often look at it and wonder, what's God up to in the world? Have a listen to this from 1 Kings 14, 7 to 8. Go tell Jeroboam, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I raised you up from among the people and appointed you over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing what was right in my eyes. What I want want you to see is God's verdict is the only way that we can know what God's up to in history. And the only way we can know God's verdict is when he tells us. If he hasn't told you, you can speculate on what God's up to. But guess what? You can't say what God's up to. And so all I want to do is I want us to ask, please be humble as we look at the world around us. Beware saying God is clearly. Gee, we could say some God is clearlys with ISIS, couldn't we? Or maybe the way that things are changing politically in America. Or what's happening to the moral state of Australia. Well, God is clearly. And all I want to say to you guys is he may be. But if he hasn't told you, please speak with humility about that. Because you don't know. The only way we know what God's doing in history is when he tells us. Warnings about worship. Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than those who were before them had done. They also set up for themselves high places, sacred stones and Asherah, asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. There are even male shrine prostitutes in the land. People engaged in all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. See, here's the thing. Why would they do it? Why would they be engaged in idolatry? I think it's convenience. It's convenience and a lack of patience. See, why do I need to go to church on Sunday? I can worship God at home. I can worship God in my own way, in my own place, you know. It's not a big deal. Except that's not what God said. He asked you to gather with his people, to not give up meeting together. Why would they, why would they engage in idolatry? Well, because they just want another angle to achieve what they want. Are you playing the lotto? Hoping that you'll get rich that way? What things are we doing which show that we don't trust God fully. I think the warnings about idolatry and the warnings about worship are useful for us because we would prefer to do it our own way, not God's way. So is it convenient? Is your religion convenient or are you convicted that this is what God has asked us to do? Costly choices. Have a listen to this. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Well done, finally, someone, yes. Here's what he did. As his father David had done, he expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land, good work, and got rid of all the idols his ancestors had made. Great work. Listen to this. He even deposed his grandmother, Ma'aka, from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Ashtera, or Asherah. Do you think that was easy for him to do? I reckon that would have been massively difficult. And here's the thing. God approved of him because of his costly choices. And I want to ask us, what are we prepared to give up for holiness? What costs are we prepared to make so that we choose holiness and not just convenience, not just going with the flow? What if it costs you something in your family? We saw with King Solomon... That God was looking for someone who would be wise. Who would live with the fear of the Lord. Asa did it. Did anyone else? Doesn't look like it, does it? We saw that many were warned. The prophet spoke to them and said, don't do this. We saw a stack of people who were wandering far from the Lord their God, looking for a king, a true and righteous king. If obedience is the key, do you know what you've signed up for? So Jesus says, follow me, trust and obey for there's no other way. If obedience is the key, do you know what you signed up for? Do you know what you signed up for? Have you checked the agreement closely? When you signed up for Jesus, did you say, yes, I'm in, and I think I know what I'm doing? I want to finish with these two challenges here. Are you going your way, a way of convenience in worshipping God? or are you here to serve others and serve the living God the way he wants? Will we resist the temptation to set up little corner stores of religion that take us away from God? And lastly, will we hear God's verdict, that what he's looking for is not all the things that we'd write our history books on, but that very selective view that the Bible has. Have you been obedient? Have you done what the Lord your God has called you to do? And I pray, church, that we might be that kind of church, that we might have the verdict of God be yes and amen because we're trusting in the living God and his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this part of your word. I pray that you would help us to be true to you, to say yes to obeying the living son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen.